The Art Dealer Diaries are brought to you by Medicine Man Gallery, located for over 26 years in Tucson, Arizona, specializing in antique Native American art, early Western art, including the famed Maynard Dixon, as well as modern art. You can find everything online at medicinemangallery.com. There's over 6,000 objects to select from. Also, the Charles Bloom Murder Mystery Series, written by yours truly, me, Mark Sublett. There's eight books in the series, and they follow the protagonist Charles Bloom through all the intrigue of the art world set in Santa Fe and the Navajo Nation. These can be found on Audible, eBooks, Amazon, and of course, the gallery at medicinemangallery.com. Had David Michaels on today, and he is uh, one of the more unique guests I've had, quite frankly. And he's an artist and a very good artist, but his background is one of sports and commentary in the sense of doing the Olympics, doing Tour de France. He's got, I think, 14 Emmys. So he's extremely gifted in that field, and he's done documentaries as well. But when you tease out this podcast and hear what it was you know this guy was supposed to be an artist that just took a different track and that happens to a lot of us in life right we think we're a doctor and then we're an art dealer and so David lets us into his life and explains how his whole world kind of opened up for him and when it did and it was an epiphany. It was an epiphany for him to be in, do the Olympics in 1976. And it was an epiphany when he turned 50, thanks to his wife, to get him paints, watercolors to start painting. And anyone who's out there who thinks, oh, I don't have what it takes, or I want to do it, but I really don't, can't, I don't have the confidence, you listen to this podcast, and you'll get the confidence to go out there, get your watercolors, get your paints, and start painting. And if you really have that drive, you know what? You're going to be good. So, very fun podcast. Really interesting guy, David Michaels. Look at all those nice paintings back there. I like that. How do you have time to do all this stuff? (laughs) I don't. (laughs) That's the answer. I do not have the time to do all this stuff. I just make the time. I I showed up today, you know, and uh, it was, I felt like I was an airplane controller and all the planes were stacked up at, Chicago's airport in a snowstorm waiting for me to answer. (laughs) And most of them were like, oh, here's a problem. Here's a problem. You know, you know better than I do. Yeah, well, the problems, you just got to swat them away. (laughs) In fact, you could probably, I'm going to turn my phone off. Speaking of that, you could probably teach me a lot about what it takes to be organized because Doing the Olympics and the, you know, the Tour de France and all those other things. I mean, you were the controller, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's like anything else. It's all about the prep because when you get to the real deal, you gotta go on instinct. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. You, know, you gotta really tap into that inner self, and but as long as you <laughs> you got organized beforehand. Uh-huh. You can't just tap into your inner self and, <laughs> and all of a sudden you're at the Olympics and go, uh oh, whoa. <laughs> and that's not going to get you one of those 14 Emmys I saw that you got. I read that. That's pretty impressive. Well, you know, that you work on a lot of Olympics and things like that and you, you win them all. Actually, I was just showing what guy I had. Um, 
I won an Emmy 33 years ago for a bike race, the Perry Roubaix bike race. And I'm thinking, 33? Really? <laughs> yeah. Goes fast. Hey, you've been a painter now for 20. Right? Yeah, well, well what did you, you, you do? You, you, uh, you did a search on me? Well, you know what they say? I, somebody, a really smart guy, says you need to be prepped. Right. You want it to go seamlessly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just, you know, I want to see the background and see what all there is. I, it's always helpful. I mean, the key is really, um, you know, the art, right? That's what that that's what gets you on this podcast is the art and you and you have a really interesting story by the way we've started this video we started our our dealer diaries we have uh david uh, michaels on today and you know it's your story is really interesting from an artist's standpoint we'll talk about the other stuff too but i love the fact that your passion is driving you uh at this point in your career and this is kind of you know the last quarter of the career we i think we all have those careers we have and i started as a doctor ended up as this and then had started writing late at 50. well you did exactly the same in the art world yeah well it's everything i've ever done has been passion driven and the art thing it you know it, it came so accidentally and now it's it's like I don't know if I want to call it a disease, but yeah, no, it's a disease. I yeah, think, I yeah, mean, it's, it's no, you know what? It, it's more of some type. It's an addiction. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like some days, I cannot wait to get up and go into my studio and just start moving paint around. I mean, some days are like that. Some nights, I might be lying in bed. It'd be like twelve thirty. My wife's mm -hmm. sleeping. House is quiet. I go, oh, wait a minute, I had a, what about that rock I was working on? And I just kind of go in there, and my, my studio's in my garage. Yeah. I've taken over a full garage thing. So, <laughs> uh, so then I'll be in there at 1230 in my pajamas, and all of a sudden I got a paintbrush in my hand and going, what are you doing? This is great B-roll, by the way. Where is that B-roll of you in the pajamas with the thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, I just wonder sometimes, how can I be doing it? It's, it's crazy, but I don't know. And then, you know, and then there's those days where I don't want to go in there. I don't want to lay any paint out. It's like, I just go in there and sit and you know, I don't know if I'm afraid to paint or I'm afraid to do something or whatever, but I, all of a sudden it's like, it stops. And then, I don't know, I'll go do something else or I'll be distracted by my regular day job. Yeah. And that's, that, you know, I, that comes in. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things when you still have another job, that it does interfere with the flow. Because I think it is a flow, I really do. And I, I find that to be a problem sometimes when I want to write that uh, I, I need to disengage from other things to be able to get that, turn that spigot on. Yeah, well, it, it's like, you know, recently did the Tour de France from the house here. Right. We were, <laughs> you know, we were all goofed up over the uh, pandemic. So, 
I'm doing I'm doing the tour and I I never I didn't even go in my studio for three weeks. It was so you know it just became too consuming. It was all consuming. Yeah, well, it has to be that way, right? To be able to make it worth doing, right? You don't want to do something that's not going to be up to your standards. And at this point, I would assume for Olympics and those kind of sporting events, your standards are extremely high. Um, yeah. You know, so, and this is a first, right? That was the first time it was ever done virtually, I assume? Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> we've proven we can do it this way. So uh, I don't think we'll be going back to France anytime soon. Wow. You know, the, the, the show was the highest rated in a few years since the Lance Armstrong days. Wow. And um, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unbelievably cheaper. And, uh, and the show wasn't bad. I mean, again, I've been... I did my first tour to France in 83. So if I haven't figured out how to do it yet, I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so when you do something like that, you're the executive producer. Is that your title? What's your title? Yeah, I kind of, I used to, I mean, sometimes I'm the director where I'm yeah. picture picking and roll, you know, roll tape machine D, put the graphic in. Sometimes I do that, but in the last couple of years, I'm more, uh, I'll just <laughs> the pointer. Hey, wait a minute. You got to explain that, you know, just sort of sit in the back. And, but I, I get involved in all the planning on a day-to-day -day basis, especially in France. Yeah. So what's involved in doing something like that? I mean, I'm, I'm just curious to understand how you pull off a remote uh, tour that's that thousands of miles that has different stations through different environments and you have to capture all that what's involved in that you mean in the tour in yeah. tour, tour, yeah. tour daily it's the craziest thing it's like you get up in the morning about seven have a nice croissant and coffee sometimes sometimes they have a frozen croissant then you drive to the finish line and get there let's say nine o'clock and the race doesn't start for five hours, so it's all planning and figuring it out and pre-packaging all the pieces. And then the race goes off at, we're on the air around two o'clock local, goes to about six o'clock local. Then we do the primetime show till 7.30 local. And then we might drive as many as 150 miles after that. Wow. So it's not real glamorous. Like, you know, stopping by one of those little pizza trucks on the way back. Down <laughs> it's like, hey, in, in France, great. We're having such a good time. Well, you're cool. focused on your job, you know? That's the thing. Right. But sometimes you might be in the same place for two days, <clears throat> and then you finish, go back to your hotel, and there's an incredible meal waiting for you. And, you know, you go, wow, this is really worth it. <laughs> and do you, you know, I have this funny feeling that for the different legs of that race, there are times you have no clue who won that race because you are just so focused on getting the imagery, right? The, the Well, you got to, no, actually, you got to really know what's happening. Like, especially if I'm directing the show and they're coming near the finish line, you got to make a decision. Am I going up? To the helicopter shot to show who's going to win? Am I going low to see, you know, who's there? 
and you got to evaluate. It's like, wait a minute, the sprinter's there and the other, you know, so you have to really know it to know what to do. Because a lot of times I've seen it happen, French director all the time to just take the wrong camera and then you go, who won? I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> so, you know, it's, you've got to really hone in on the sport, so. And do you have to have uh, all the stats and know all the things that are going on, just like you would in a, like what your brother does, that you have to know those people so you know who's going to win, potentially win, so you can be focused oh, yeah. you got to have a great research staff and, uh, you know, and just everybody's got to be in sync. I, I, I like to think of it as maneuvering a cruise ship out of a tight harbor. It's like, get everybody on board. Wait a minute, how are we going to move this boat around? How are, you know, it's like, it's so complicated. It's like, once you get going, it's like, wow, this is, this is like a dream. This what is, is that, like, two weeks long? Is Tour de France two weeks? No, it's three it's weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. So, you, you know, can tell I've never watched your show. So, uh, <laughs> but the, the really funny part about all this and kind of going back to how we started is, <laughs> Here's this Tour de France that is 91 people that I'm trying to get into sync. And essentially, it pretty much comes down to me. I mean, I'm, you know, I got to motivate people. I've got to give them direction. I go, you know, that's what I'm doing. But when I'm an artist, it's just me. And that is incredible. After being in a collective art form, for so many years, for 45 years in a collective art form. And now I'm in an individual art form where my wife might say, oh, you know, <laughs> is that a barn or an outhouse? <laughs> or, you know, maybe you better stop now. But other than that, I can just say, go make some jewelry or something. Don't leave me <laughs> And your wife, by the way, is an art teacher too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she was uh, when I first met her. One of the funniest things was she was she was making an American flag out of nails for her art class, and I thought, wow, this is really crazy. I think I like this girl. <laughs> I think she's you know. And then she made some sculptures, and and uh, she was great in watercolors, and it was like, hmm. But I wasn't interested enough to do it other than when I wanted to really hang out with her, I decided to go to the drawing classes. And the drawing classes, of course, had naked people. This was in the 60s. Yeah. And of course they had naked people now too, but here was <laughs> here were these naked people. And I thought, wow, this is a pretty good combo. I got my my girlfriend and all this kind of cool stuff going on in the drawing class. But it all went by the wayside. For years and years. Yeah. And I want to, yeah, I want to get to that point too and how you got there because, you know, you have this unusual, it's, it's, it's very, uh, it's not completely unique in the sense I've seen great artists like Bill Gallen kind of had a similar route, but you had this unusual aspect that you really started off in a completely different way and then ended up where you are today. So let's start. Where did you, where did you grow up? How did that all happen? What was your, what were your folks doing? Well, my, uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, 
That's in this right. city. Actual real Brooklyn. I'm a real, I mean, I was born in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad was a theatrical agent and he um, represented some like jazz bands and he was like booked their tours. And so he was an agent. And my mom was just a, a homemaker. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, so my dad, he all of a sudden got kind of famous in his company and they moved him to California when I was eight. And he uh, sort of moved into a little bit of, he was representing Pat Boone at the time. Yeah, that's big, that's huge. Les Paul and Mary Ford, you know, so he was able to make a pretty good living out of that. And then, um, you know, I was just a Southern California teenage crazy. But things changed in my life when I was 11, when I went to summer camp. And here I was up in the Sierras in California, in these incredible places and these beautiful mountains and lakes and i thought I, I had no idea these places really existed <laughs> and that changed my life forever it's like i ended up going to college in colorado and people said well why'd you why'd you go to the university of denver and i said to ski and to uh hike you yeah know, so a lot of people i know who've done that exact same thing so, i mean it's kind of crazy so i did I did that and um but you weren't interested in art or drawing or any of that as a kid you know in grade school I, or middle school or high school you know i i took some drawing classes but i really wasn't very good my standard drawing was i used to love to draw uh, missiles on the launch pad in at cape canaveral yeah you know? that makes like sense. when john glenn took off i, I made drawings about you know what the rocket looked like and things like that so i i do that but i was so bad with perspective that it intimidated me and i was kind of like i can't do this and so the interest was there the yeah the interest, interest there. i wanted yeah. it, it was one of those things where i really 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 wanted to do it but i couldn't and i didn't have anybody who was providing any kind of instruction and I was used to in that time, let's say high school and all that, where if I wanted to do something like I wrote a lot, I was editor of the college newspaper. And so I was able to do writing. I would just do it. It came to me. Right. Or I was able to, I used to, <laughs> I did psychedelic light shows in Colorado. <laughs> and I just kind of knew how to put the visuals together. See, yeah. so you're a visual guy. See, that's the funny thing. You're totally a hundred percent a visual individual, and your whole life actually has been all about visuals, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I mean it. It really has. I mean, it, it, both in you know newspaper photography and doing that kind of crazy stuff, but you know, doing the the light show was fantastic because we would paint these little slides and take like six slides and put them all and flash them up there. And, get the liquids going and uh -huh. you know you know it's kind of kind of nuts and what was your major when you went to college uh political science 
<laughs> political science. And why political science? Just because well, that seemed wanted, like a route? Well, I wanted to change the world. Ah, I wanted this... to make it a better place. I wanted to be like a State Department emissary. You know, I just had all these crazy illusion delusions that I could uh, really affect change. And this was mid-60s? This is, yeah, this was, I got to University of Denver in 67, graduated yeah. in 71. So that's, that's right in the height of Vietnam War, right there. Yeah, oh yeah, I was a big protester. Yeah. 100% against the war and um, had a high draft number, so I didn't, you know, I was able to steer clear of that. You remember that day when you, when they did the pull? I the do. Threat? Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's a that's a dramatic time frame. I mean your life is in the in the balance to some extent, and your morals, I guess, in some cases as well. I knew people that uh, when I was a freshman in college with these guys, and they dropped out, and then you know three years later they came back. They were, I mean, it was a, it was pretty amazing to see how it changed people. It was yeah. it was very disturbing. And so you but, were twelve. You were two twelve. You got the pick. That was in what that they did it. That was in '69 that they did. The yeah, job. I mean, yeah, they never got. I don't know what they got to. They didn't get very far. Yeah. Like, I guess the people were still volunteering at the time. Yeah. So, so I had the political science degree, and yeah. I had worked on a number of political campaigns, including Bobby Kennedy's presidential campaign, and um, you know just working on campaigns. And um, also when I was in college, I was an intern at the state legislature. So I figured, okay, I'll, let me start all this up. So I failed the state department entrance exam mm. after I graduated. Uh -huh. And I thought, oh, well, that's not gonna work, but I'm pretty good at politics. And uh, as things led to things, I was, I left college and I was a newspaper writer for a number of years, but then I finally did the political thing and um, worked for a congressman who lost the elect election in Colorado. And, you know, it was all distraught and there was my dream of going to Washington and, and politics and I'm worthless and what am I going to do with myself? And then I get a call from the senator at the time, Floyd Haskell. Yeah. Who said, Kid, I think you did a hell of a job with that guy. He had no chance to win. Why don't you come work for me in Washington? And I'm like, what? Really? Uh, okay. <laughs> so then I had my my Washington experience. But and I don't know if this is getting too far. No, this is, you know what, this is, it's the building blocks to how you end up where you end up. And without understanding those things, for one thing I've already picked out of this talk is that I think if you had a, had a teacher, an art teacher that yeah. showed any kind of interest in you when you were in primary or middle school or even high school, you would have gone a completely different route. You are exactly right. I mean, you know, just to go back to it, I really, I really wanted to be able to draw. I really wanted to be able to paint. Yeah. And you're right. It, I just never 
you know, some people say, oh my God, I was all saved by this wonderful art teacher, you know. Yeah. Well, I never had, I never had that person in art. I had yeah. that person in uh, government and poli-sci classes, but not in art. Yeah. And that, so I, to me, that's one of the reasons I like to find out this background because I can see things that I couldn't see before. So I don't know how Floyd affected you in Washington, but I'm sure it did. And so, how, so you were in Washington working for the, this is the United States Senator, right? Yeah. Yeah. And working so, in the Senate and yeah, what was that? I mean, that, that either made you really into politics or go, I'm never doing this again. Well, that's what happened. What happened was, um, he was a big backer of alternative energy back then. And I helped work with him and the staff to develop a solar energy research institute. Wow, that's early too, right? We're talking. It was really cool. But seven, guess early what? 70s, late 60s kind of time, right? Yeah, this was 76. Yeah. But guess what? The uh, different unions in Colorado didn't want it. You know, the petroleum workers or the oil, chemical, and atomic workers. Yeah. And I remember being called into Floyd's office one day and he said, Ted, we talked, you know, we, we lived with people. Yeah. Rough. Ted, we're going to pull the bill. Said, what? We're going to pull the bill because he was up for reelection and he needed the money. Yeah. And I came home, I remember coming home that night to Kathy and saying, Okay, it's official. I stand for nothing. <laughs> and it was like, this is why, and Washington wasn't going to work. Yeah. But near the end of the DC time, I hooked back up with my friend from the light show. And we started doing some more content related light shows. And I'm thinking, this is what I want to do. And then things led to things. And, uh, I did a documentary for the United Way of America when I was still in DC on volunteerism in America. Like who people that volunteer are, what they do, why do they do it? And it was, uh, you know, kind of, a, it was a fun documentary and I was scared doing it because I thought, I don't know much about doing a documentary, <laughs> but I think I'll try. Right. So anyway, it worked out fine. And, I showed it to my dad, uh, it was like a Thanksgiving or something like that. And he watched it and he said, why are you wasting your time in the backwater of Washington, DC? I'm gonna send this along to somebody who um, you should talk to. So that documentary led to being, to working on a show about the Olympics in 1980. Wow. And that's kind of how, and then it all snowballed. It's like, I just found this route, this, and it was all about, it was about this combination of visuals, music, and words. And somehow it just all worked. It just all worked for me. And my career just kind of, you know, it's like one of those things where I could sit now and look back and go, wait a minute, what the hell happened? Uh -huh. You know, it's like, I, you know, and people like all these kids come up to me now. And go, oh, yeah, we heard about you. We know what, you know, it's like, really? Okay. 
So in 84, so, did you do the uh, LA Olympics? You must have been involved no, in that as well. I was no. working at uh, CBS at the time, and it was an ABC show. I see. It took me a long time. There was a period of time after the election when um, Haskell had lost. My daughter had just been born. I was unemployed, and I'm sitting in this place in D.C. going, what am I going to do with myself? Right. And this friend of mine who worked, at, funnily enough, at the United Way when we eventually got back together, he said, hey, this Olympic film is playing in the Smithsonian tonight, 76 Olympic film, it's a premiere. I said, ah, I don't want to go. He said, no, you're coming. I'm, I'm going to be at your house in 15 minutes, and you're coming with me. And I went to the Smithsonian with him, and I sat down, and the first pictures came on. It was just, a, it was just the sounds of the city and a telephoto shot of the Olympic Stadium. I started crying. Wow. And I said, oh, no. And then when everything was happening, I said, okay, that's what I want to do. That's it. And so that was in 70, 78. It was September of 78. And it took me 14 years to get to the Olympics. But I got there. Yeah. Yeah. But so it was the struggle. So 90 is the first Olympics because if you saw it in 70, yeah, 92. And what, what do you think it was about that, that just that epiphany went off? What well, it? it was, again, it was coming back to what I always wanted to do because here was this united world and people from all countries and everybody, you know, kind of loving each other and, you know, this, it, it all, it all kind of rolled back into exactly what it was I wanted to do. I wanted to be a part of the, you know, the world getting together. And it was the Olympics and I sort of followed it as a kid. My brother and I, you know, we'd love to watch it, but I never thought I'd work it. Yeah. You know, you know let's, let's talk about your brother just a little bit, just because I'm, I'm, I know you more because of you're on the right path of being an artist, <laughs> but your brother is well known in the uh, sports world, Al Michaels. And we even had a funny kind of, that's how we met. Interestingly, I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember when you met, we met in the gallery? Yeah. I had played with golf with your brother that he played golf before, I think. <laughs> and his name came up and you go, really? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm his brother. I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, that was in uh, was in Santa Fe. Uh, I think it was Tucson. No, it was Tucson because I played with him here in Tucson, and oh. I and you were looking for art, and he was at Canyon Ranch doing whatever he was doing at Canyon Ranch. Yeah, no, he you know it's like Canyon Ranch, the gold standard. Yeah, but anyway, when he was a kid, he um, our dad was a man, it was a crazy sports fan. I mean, you know, we'd go to the Dodgers and the Yankees and all those things and we still lived in Brooklyn. And my dad was also the track announcer at a horse racing track and an auto track. <laughs> okay, welcome everybody. So my brother used to imitate him all the time. And 
you know, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be driving a car. I didn't want yeah. to be, but my brother, he just thought, wow, this is, this announcing thing is really cool. So he started um, taking the racing form in the morning at the kitchen table and he'd announce the horse races like my, my dad would do. Oh, that's funny. And he, you know, he, he was like, yeah, it was like, he was an arrow. It's like, I may have gone up and down and this and that. He just like, pew, I want to be the guy I want to, you know, I want to announce for the Dodgers. I mean, do the World Series or the Super Bowl or whatever. Right. That was, couldn't be any farther from the truth. So, you know, and it was a funny thing when we were growing up, we'd watch sports all the time together. And I'd always complain about, hey, they didn't show how the fumble happened. And right. he'd always complain about, that guy said the wrong thing. And we used to sit there and laugh all the time. And, and it was like, yeah, well, one day when we're in charge of all this crap, let's, uh, you know, we'll change uh -huh. it. <laughs> and, you know, it was all just, a, you know, a pipe dream. And I left the sports thing behind for, a you know, again, that was another thing for a lot of years to follow the political world. And my brother, God, he would he would call me on the phone and say, what are you doing? Get out of there. <laughs> you don't do this politics thing. Get out. You can't do this. Get back where you need to be. So, you know, all those things coming together, here I am. And, and when you hear Al do the announcement, do you hear your father? Um, no, it's much different. He's, he's changed. He's developed his own now. Yeah. I mean, my dad was, you know, it was, it was more, it was not a broadcast voice or a broadcast thing. It was more, um, you know, you know, it was one of those things. <laughs> well, you know, you say he was laser focused, but, you know, I see the same focus, the same laser focus after you see that uh, movie in 76 and go, this is it. This is yeah. where I'm going. This is all, you know, I mean, it's just, it's the same thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was laser focused on getting there. And, it, yeah. and you know, and in those years, there was, um, I don't know, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of craziness. I actually, when I was talking about how I wanted to save the world and <clears throat> do all the political thing and all that, I was in Sarajevo one time and I was working with a crew that had a Croat and a Muslim and a, a regular Bosnian and a guy from up north. And they, you know, Saying, look how we're all together and and that was great and then later that day i had to solve a problem between russian tv japanese tv canadians us and the brits right over the coverage of this figure skating event so I, i'm i'm sitting there in that meeting going wow i mean this ain't the u.n but not bad yeah and you're in politics in a way really you're in international politics yeah well i have to had to make a solution and um and it had to make a solution for self-preservation because i had a show to do too <laughs> so and so are you still do i know you just do the, do the tour de france but is are you still actively involved in 
the Olympic Channel and all that, all those kind of things? No, actually, what's happened now is the world, the broadcast world has fundamentally shifted with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. People don't go on location anymore. And I'm not up for going back to Stanford, Connecticut, where everybody is working, because I'm, I don't, you know, necessarily feel safe going to Connecticut for a couple months. Yeah. So basically, I've taken a leave of absence. And so I'm, I'm out of it. I'm not sure what's going to happen for the Olympics this year. Um, I was scheduled to go to Tokyo and work in right. the control room on the primetime show, but I don't know. I don't know. That's why part of the thing is that's why I've, you know, I've now moved into being this artist guy. Right. And my wife is, she just laughing because she just says, I can't believe what you're doing. I mean, uh -huh. seriously, Mark, I mean, it, I mean, I'm not, a medicine man gallery guy, but I'm selling a lot of these paintings. I mean, I, I saw, I counted how many was. There was almost 50 paintings. You sold 45 paintings on your. Yeah, it, it's, it's nuts. I mean, it's like, I don't know what happened. Well, I can Prior tell you to, one reason you're too cheap. You got to increase your price structure. Yeah, you and my <laughs> wife. But it, what happened was, is right at the time of the pandemic, I don't think I'd sold seven or eight, nine. All of a sudden, it's like it was like a landslide. Uh -huh. like, and I thought, and then it was the really hard part. I'm going, I paint because I love to paint. I paint because I have to paint. But now, wait a minute, maybe I need to make another one of those va uh, valleys with the cactus and <laughs> dirty soul to it. I mean, I'm, I, all of a sudden, now I'm faced with these crazy decisions. That I never, I never had to face before. Yeah, and so how have you dealt with that? I mean, because that is, I mean, every artist that makes a living painting has to deal with these decisions. Do I, my, my style is recognizable, do I keep that up? The subject matter I use, people like it, do I do that? Or can I reach and see what else happens? And they have to make decisions. And so you're, you're making those decisions as, as well. So what, have you, what are you doing? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm resisting going to commercial. <laughs> it, it has to, I, if for me to paint something, I've really got to feel it. Of course. And like last week, um, I, I just, I needed to get outside and paint from life. And because the heat of the summer was gone. And so I went out and I, and I started doing these, um, little studies of houses and weird places in a place called Camarillo, California mm -hmm. and farms and all. And it was like, wow, it's like a breath of fresh air. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to sell any of this stuff, but I don't care. All I'm right. having too much fun. I sold one today. <laughs> uh -huh. You're going to sell a few more after this podcast, my friend. I would no. recommend, I'll let this go a little later so you can build up your inventory. So when it <laughs> They'll all be coming. Where's those cheap paintings I hear about from this guy? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I try to, you know, but again, because like my brother is like totally insane. He goes, that one over there, what are you, what are you selling that for? I said, well, I'm selling that for like 680. 680,000? 
no, $680. And he's going, you, he said, have you completely lost your mind? I said, no, I've not completely lost my mind. I just, he says, you've got to, this is ridiculous. He said, the, the paintings are great, but you can't be charging that kind of money to be my brother. <laughs> he wants you to make him at least 6,000. He just doesn't understand that the market will bear what the market. Yeah, no, I mean, he doesn't, he, you know, what does he know? Yeah, well, well, tell him that he should buy all of them then. He could. And, and he can just, sell. Yeah, he can book them. <laughs> so let's talk about how you got here as a painter now, because this was kind of, you had this epiphany in 76, and um, you, you're what, four, 40 at that? How old were you at that? 76? Time? Yeah, you were about 26. You were how old were you? 26. Yeah. So at 50, you had another epiphany as far as painting, right? Something happened in your Well, life. at 50, at 50, I was like, I can't believe I'm 50 and what is going on with my life. Yes. And my wife was planning this 50th birthday for me because I wanted to go to Africa, but we things were too complicated. So she bought me an African headdress and a drum and uh, a bracelet and uh, a CD to put in the car. And we went to Death Valley. Yeah, beautiful there. On my 50th birthday, which was in 2000. Yeah. She said, okay, here's what we're doing on your birthday. We're going to go paint. And I said, what? Paint? okay really so and she's a watercolor person yeah. so we put packed up our pack and we went off and painted and i'm sitting out there in the desert with the watercolors that i know nothing about she goes okay well you can make a wash it's like <laughs> but anyway something clicked in my brain and I thought, wow, I love being out here. I love trying to translate that cliff into a painting. I said, this could be something really cool. But I don't want to do this watercolor thing. <laughs> so we painted that day. We painted the next day. And um, I, I moved on to pastels. And one of the things I started doing was I wanted to find mentors. I, I figured the only way I'm going to get really good at this is if I find somebody. And, you know, I, I got smarter in my years. And is that how you, did you know that just from your business of in yeah. doing documentaries and all these things that you find people that are smarter than you and learn from them? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I found a guy, um, his name is Brad, Brad Fagri, and he was an artist in La Habra, California, but I loved his style. So I um, went to visit him, had a good time, and then he said, hey, why don't, you want to come out and paint? I thought, what? Painting? I didn't know that people painted with artists, you know. Right. <laughs> so I went out to paint with him and then we had a long friendship where he would, you know, just give me sort of staccato lessons. 
and it was, you know, it, it was great. It was, it was fun, but I didn't want to get all messy. It just like pastel dust and I mean, nothing, no offense to the pastelistas out there, but right. that, you know, so once again, my wife comes to the rescue. She was in Italy with some friends and, um, or no, she was in uh, Amsterdam. And of course, this is probably, so she's in Amsterdam. She comes back and goes, I solved your problem. I said, what did you do? She said, I don't know if these paints are any good, but here's a set of oil paint. And it was old Holland. Yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, probably the most expensive. Right. So I said, okay. So I, then that was it. I, once I got that oil, once I got into that sensuousness of it and the colors and how you can rework it and scrape it. And, uh, I mean, it just like, it was, it was love at first bite. And so then the same thing happened. I had to find real mentors. Yes. And the first guy I ran into by accident was Ray Roberts. Yeah. He's one of the great teachers of all time. And it was a thing up in Idlewild, California. It was a three-day uh, plein air. Yep. And, you know, I fell in love with Ray. Ray was, Ray was everything, you know, that I wanted in a teacher. And Peggy was there. Yeah. In between the two of them, it was, it was like a dream. And so Ray and I got to be good friends off of this thing. This was in 08, long time ago now. Yeah, I, well, he's, he's really interesting to watch paint. He's one of the most confident painters I've ever seen. I, I like to watch my artists paint if I can and get out in the field with them because you learn so much about their paintings, really. And you you understand the emotion that goes into him. And Ray is just so confident with his, I mean, he doesn't even need to look at his palette, right? I mean, he knows where everything is and he's just it's, focusing on the landscape. He's focusing on the imagery, the sun and all that. And he's just doing his thing. It, it's unbelievable. It's like he, if you look at the palette, it's just a bunch of mud. Yeah. But, you know, his color relationship, his sense of composition, it was phenomenal. And, you know, I would, I would used to joke that for me, Ray was teaching calculus and I was barely out of uh, algebra two. <laughs> it's probably true, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of a sudden now I'm starting to get some of the things that he's been pounding into me for 12 years. But yeah, and see, that's about right. It takes that time, right? It takes the, you know, provivial 10,000 hours the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, standard. Yeah, to get no, it was crazy. You're, you're there, right? I mean, you've you started 20 years ago, I guess, right? When you got your set, yeah. and now you've been, you know, and now you're on it. I mean, I can see it. I watch it. It's really interesting, as an art dealer, to watch somebody progress, uh, and I can see the progression. Wow, and, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, I can. I mean, that last painting you did, which I think I uh, made a comment on, was really strong. Uh, a desert painting that was just like, wow, that's a really strong painting. He got all the composition, the colors, the, you know, it was something I go, hmm, yeah, I can relate to that. By the way, is that a Josh Elliott in the back there, ground? On the, back your, up here. Yeah. 
Yeah. That yeah. One. Yeah. Look, I was like, oh, that's Josh's work. <laughs> I know who that is too. That's uh, that looks like uh, uh, Swinnerton, actually. I don't know if it is, but it has a Swinnerton look to it. Is it? No, is you it? know what? I love Swinnerton. Yeah. But that's a Sam Hyde Harris, which is. Oh, okay. That you, makes sense. Now, here's the funny part this is why you are completely insane. He painted that painting with Jimmy Swinnerton. Uh, that particular painting because people in St. George were that's just outside of St. George. Yes. Um, I was sort of looking into stuff and they said, Oh yeah, they used to come here all the time. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. The, the foreground doesn't look like Swinnerton so much. Yeah. It that. doesn't have that surreal. Yeah. But the, uh, the red and the composition sure does. Yeah. They're probably yeah, then up here on the top is, uh, the Carl, like Carl Dempel. I can't see it because my face is on that for the video. <laughs> so, oh. Here, let me let me move this. And so this is why people. Oh, there you go. People who uh, listen to this should also watch it on YouTube because you get to see all the beautiful images. And we're in the studio of. Oh yeah, look at that. I just now noticed. I'm focused. See, this tells me I'm an art dealer, right? I look only at the art. I'm interested <laughs> in the art. And then I just noticed there's like these Emmys that are stacked up above the television, right? Is that what those are? Yeah, those oh. are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. More interested in the art. That's all right. Yeah. Well, you've got 14 of them. I mean, they're probably stacked around. I got, I got a Tour de France painting up here, too. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's what that. Oh, now I can see it. Yeah. Um, so you so you met with Ray. He taught you a great deal. And then you also work with Joe Carver, too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, in between was Lorenzo Chavez. Oh, yeah. Also a good painter. Now, Lorenzo, he... He was unbelievable. Lorenzo, they really explained atmospheric perspective to me. And he really pounded it into my head. And I took a class with him where he, we had to do seven drawings in 10 minutes, 12 minutes. Wow. And it was just so, it was like, you know, it was really, it was visceral art. Yeah. So between those two things, you know, Lorenzo, Lorenzo kind of really opened my eyes to technique, to things I hadn't really thought about. I mean, how, you know, just the whole notion of shadows going from dark to less and less and less and less, which obviously, you know, you know now, but it's like back then I'm going, well, how come every value in my painting is completely flat? So, <laughs> He was great on that. And then, you know, and then I was able to move on to Jill. And, I, you know, I just love Jill. She's just. She's fantastic. She's an amazing painter. Yeah. She, watching her paint is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know how she does what she does. Well, when you look at her paintings, I always find there's a, a real emotional con connect to the, her paintings. Yeah, um, you know, there may be landscapes and they may come from life, but that you feel some emotional guttural response. At least I do when I look at. Everything. Well, I think that because part of what she, you know, in, in her sort of checklist for the painter, the number one thing is always, why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. what's, what's the narrative here? And that's, you know, that to me, I hadn't thought much about that. I'd think, wow. Well, that's kind of a pretty vista. Why don't I paint it? Whereas now I'm going, 
I'm looking for a story. I'm looking for emotional tie-in. And she brought, she really brought that to me. Yeah. So what have in the in the time that you've started till now, and now you're a competent artist who's selling their work. You've sold almost 50 paintings. You're clearly have found your rhythm. What what is it that has changed from the beginning of that time frame to now? Confidence. Yeah, there you go. That's right. I get confidence that. is everything. When there's a time when and I, ne I, I never thought this would actually happen to me, where I, I will say I can paint anything. You know, and like I'll try to paint anything. Right. And things that I was always afraid of, like people, um, all of a sudden now it's like the, the confidence is, you know, confidence has taken over. So I think that's the principal thing. And not sweating the details all the time. It's like you used to say back in the old days, well, Go and find the big shapes and then make the big shapes into smaller. I'm going, what? I don't see any shapes. What are you, what are you talking about? Uh -huh. <laughs> well, now it's like when you start seeing, you know, it's like, again, learning. I think that from the beginning to now, a lot of the people that I work with have taught me to see. Mm -hmm. You see things differently, too, in your environment, right? When you yeah. go out in your environment, you see the whole thing differently, right? Yeah, I mean, I, and I drive my wife crazy now. It's like, oh, oh, look at that. There's so much blue back there in those trees. She goes, are you serious? <laughs> and you are serious. And I am serious. You're <laughs> right. I am serious. And it's just like, it's like I can spend, I was just out the other day painting some fields in Camarillo and mountains. And it was, it was one of those things where you knew it was going to turn into something really magical and and i'm sitting there going, wow there is no place i'd rather be than out here with my paintbrush standing at my easel looking at what i'm looking at and actually trying to translate what's happening that you know that was that's the best you think if you had the opportunity and you could have done it all over again would you have started as a painter at the begin with as an artist well i don't know you know, I would have, I think I would have liked to have kept it up as kind of a hobby while I was going along. But I, what I don't get from painting as much is the adrenaline rush. I mean, I do, when I was out there, like I was just describing that place right. in Korea, that was a pure adrenaline rush. Right. That was great. But like when I'm doing the Olympics, I get a two week adrenaline rush and then you become an adrenaline junkie. And so, you know, I, I'm not sure I would have traded that in, but yeah. in the last few years, strangely enough, I've actually like, I've gone to France and done like five or six watercolors through the course of the tour on the days off on the days off. I always painted. And you know, sometimes at night I'd be sitting there banging my head against the wall going, oh, maybe I'll paint some. <laughs> or I'll paint out my window in the morning, you know, take an hour. So I kind of wish I had 
started a lot earlier and developed as I went. But yeah, it sounds know. like you no, know, you know, you you brought up such a fascinating point that if I'd run into a teacher, all might have been different. I think it would have been. I think it would have been. Um, because you the difference between what you did for a living and was very successful as i see it and what art brings you is it's art is more spiritual almost to you i think there is an emotionally connected point that hits your heart and the other i think is more hits your intellect and your brain um and is as you said, you're an adrenaline junkie. It gets going. You you know you get the all the synaptics running. You got a flight and fight response. And right, we're gonna go. We're gonna crash and burn. Yeah, exactly. And people can get addicted to that very easily. Um, but when it all comes down to it, and you're in a you're at the Tour de France, and you're looking out the window, and you're having a problem, where do you go to? You go to your heart, right? You go yeah. back to painting. Yeah, you get the painting out, and you go do it. So. I don't know. Well, well you know, the, the other interesting thing about the painting that I didn't really get from TV or any other stuff is all of a sudden, like I'll do some of these desert scenes and I'll get, I don't know, 12 things on Facebook of this is where my father used to take us when we were kids and picnic or my mother's favorite spot and all of a sudden all this emotional stuff is coming up from people who are buying my work and it's like for me it's like oh man this is i never expected this like this this woman bought a painting of mine about three days ago and she said she opened it up and started crying and i said oh wow and i'm saying to myself oh i said huh? Really, it's just, it reminded me of what my mother loved. Those it was, you know, sort of an overcast day with blue streaks in the sky and indistinct mountains and sagebrush. I mean, you know, and but it was like her mom's favorite environment. Yeah, the painting allowed her to interpret what she saw, yeah. which is what good paintings do. Yeah. Good paintings and, do just that. And so many of these paintings have. Um, touch people in in ways that i'm like whoa and that is something you don't get from tv i mean yeah people go oh that was a great show and i love the olympics and right you know and like yeah that was you know i mean i've done some very emotional olympic scenes and tour de france scenes and, and all that <clears throat> that have touched people millions of people right but something about uh a collector buying your painting and saying she cried that is whoa yeah which will live on and may become a family heirloom that her child or grandchildren have the same connection to for generations you know yeah i know well that's what art does right I mean, yeah. that's a, it, it's capable of doing. I mean, that's why I do what I do. I mean, one of the reasons is I have feel this connection, whatever it is. That's why I do this podcast is I'm, I'm you know, I'm psychoanalyzing my own, you know, why I do what I do as much as anything else. And uh, I learn from other artists, from other people, 
when they tell me these stories, I can see my own path and how I kind of developed. And uh, I, I find it so interesting when somebody like yourself, who's very successful, um, gets paid, I'm sure, you know, well for what you do, but yet will be willing to do everything all the time to make a $650 painting and get, you know, great joy out of it because it's not a money thing. It's a heart thing. Right. That, I mean, and that's the point that scares me about even selling any of it is I like to make people happy. And, but at the same time, I don't want to give away the pain. No, you shouldn't. No, no you know I, what I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give away, but I don't know. It's a, it's a weird dichotomy. Well, real artists, you know, I think are, they don't give those things away other than to friends and to special or trade or whatever. But part of the process is that you made these to sell you. You're, if you want to be a real, you know, a professional artist, you're making art to sell and you may keep some special pieces. You may give some away, but the other ones, that's what you do, whether regardless of the cost or the value of what it is it's the processes that's part of the that's part of the lineage i think of being uh an artist quite frankly yeah i mean i you know i do want to get some remuneration and because you know i mean nothing's cheap even even you know you, you make an order for panels it's like what <laughs> or you know the amount of paint i go through it's like that's the other thing like can't believe I'm, you know, it's like, <laughs> again, going back to Kathy, she goes, you cut another package from Jerry's uh -huh. Artorama. Yeah. What's in there now? I go, oh, you know, she goes, how much paint do you need? I go, well, I just went through all this paint. <laughs> it's funny, though. She really is the uh, one of the key components of your whole life, and not only just as a marriage, but, you know, she must have heard you over the years talk about art and how you wish you could do it for her to buy that set of watercolors and going, we're going painting. Yeah, because she always said back in the old, old days when we were first dating and going to those nude classes, she said, you're a really good artist. And I, I didn't believe it. She said, no, your drawings are really good. They're really interesting. And, you know, she tried to foster it. But I, I don't know, again, looking back to that, it's like, yeah, confidence was a huge bad issue for me. My lack of confidence also stood in the way of, you know, following the art. Because if I just kept going at that point, I mean, I was only 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I would have. I think if you put, you know, you need the ignition. And if you, if somebody will ignite you, and then you have the desire, the rest will take over. Even if the skill set, like drawing isn't very good or whatever, it, you surpass that all the time. You see this in sports all the time that, you know, these people that get incredibly great, they may have not been the most gifted, but they had the, they had the desire to be gifted. And uh, yeah, you would have been there. You are there now. You've, you've gotten there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have gotten there. I can tell you, you've gotten there. So what do you tell people who might be on either end of the spectrum, the 18-year-old the who's considering it, or the 50 or 70-year-old who really wants to take this seriously? What's your advice to them? 
Well, I mean, I'm, I'm very positive about, and I get a lot of comments from people saying, well, here's my work. And, and you know, it's like you look at it, and go, maybe you should, uh. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, it's, it's like, I just, I love to encourage people to do this because you open yourself, you, you, you become more humble, you become more human when, when you do your art for whatever purpose. And I just say to anybody, just like I was just saying to you about on the Tour de France, I'm kind of going nuts and I'm looking out my window painting a nocturne. It's like, yeah, but guess what? That helped me get through the night. That helped me get through the tour. Yeah. And that was an important thing. Whereas I might have sat and been perplexed all night and not able to get to bed. So there's, you know, lots of, I'm just, I just think people, if you have any inclination, pick up that brush or pencil or stick or whatever it takes, pick it up and just follow it. Don't try to be, you know, the other thing is trying to figure out who the hell you are. Right, that's a big one for an artist. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like I always, I would say to myself, I don't have a style. Kathy would say, "You do have a style. That's your style. Shut up and paint." <laughs> and you know, it's like, oh, okay, but you know, who, who, who am I really? Well, it's like singing. I think you know, a great uh, artist who's a singer, they find a song that does something to them, right? It makes them feel the emotion. I think as an artist, whatever that thing is, for you, I think it's the desert. Uh, it seems to be, you know, plain air, desert paintings, causes you to click and to want to go out there. And just like you said, the greatest place of my life was sitting out there painting and I just go, look at me, how lucky. And I think that's it, you gotta go with the gut, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, you know, that kind of, breathtaking moments aren't going to happen doing most anything else in life. I mean, yeah, I mean, because I, I love hiking and, you know, but it's a whole different dynamic. It's like when you're actually, when your hand is connecting to, to a, you know, canvas and you're putting something down and you're observing where you are, you're, ah, I don't know. And you just got a you just got a uh, admitted to an, uh, some kind of an event, right? For one of your paintings, judged into. Uh, yeah, well, the California yeah. Art Club, which. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I've been a member for a while. It's like I never had a hope of being juried into one of their competitions, because it's extremely highly competitive. Yeah, it is. And even a couple of artists that have been in a lot of them said, "Hey, I didn't get into that <laughs> contest." <laughs> But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty damn cool. I mean, uh -huh. You know, it's like wow. It's like you know, it's like I had written on the Facebook that I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm legit now. I'm, uh, I'm in the California Art Club. But it's you know the the bummer is it's a virtual show this year. Uh -huh. Yeah, but the, the the good news is there'll be some that aren't, and you're not going anyway. Where away from painting, you're still going to continue on this road, clearly. In fact, I expect you'll be doing more than you ever have because you're not going to be doing the Olympics and the other stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, I think now, 
I, I'd be very content just being a painter. I mean, there you go. There you go. There's the one. That's the that's the total, you know, take home of this podcast. I think, quite frankly. Yeah. And so, so, so this is your opportunity to plug yourself too. Let's get out the website and all that. Cause if somebody wants to buy <laughs> one of your paintings, you know, they, you don't, you're not selling in a gallery, you sell your own stuff. So how do they find you? Um, David Michaels art.com. It's an easy one. And, um, I think one of the most fun things about my website, if I can speak immodestly, yeah. isn't what's for sale, but, I write a lot of goofy stories about people that I work with and artists that I know. And, you know, it's an, it's a art centric, uh, sort of blog about, um, about art and struggles and things like that. So that, that's kind of fun. And they're uh, good too. I read them actually. I spent the time and read the blogs and wow. they were, yeah, I did. They were really, they were very interesting. Um, and you're a good writer. So I, I, I do like that. And, and that's something that I wish more artists would do for themselves because it does bring the consumer, brings the person who's interested in the art a little closer to the heart of who the person is, which is important. Yeah, but you know, part of it is you have a certain image of yourself and if you're gonna, I mean, I like to, with my writing, I, I kind of stand out there a little naked a lot of times, just like- Good. Here, you know, here are my fears. Here's what I feel. Some people, you know, may not want to let their guard down. So I'm just, you know, like I say, I'm I'm just a crazy guy standing out there naked, writing uh -huh. down. And, <clears throat> and, and you're you also know, on and Facebook and too, right? I may have to up my inventory, like you said. Yeah. Well, generally, what happens as a de dealer, what we do is if an artist, we can't keep things in the gallery, they keep selling, then you have to increase your price structure. Um, and that's what you do. That's what all artists do, uh, professional artists. So yeah, I mean, I looked at your price structure and I did say, oh, these seem kind of inexpensive. I think he needs about a 25% jump. I think if you did that, you actually wouldn't find that it stops sales at all because they're of the quality. I think they're actually undervalued for the quality of the artwork that's there, quite frankly. All right, well, I'll take the advice from a master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you can take me to, di to dinner when you get another 250 bucks on each one of your paintings, but they are. I mean, for what you are getting, uh, you know, I wouldn't say this if I didn't believe it. I think you have the stones to paint. I think they're good paintings. I don't comment on people's paintings on Facebook unless I think they're quality. I don't, I don't you know, I just don't go down that road. And, uh, you know, you, you've managed to put out some really outstanding pieces you're getting it you've got it you clearly you know through, through how you've done it through hard work and through teachers like ray roberts and chavez and and carver and those you've managed to to find your your uh, your way and uh, i think that's a takeaway too for people too that you know using great teachers can really make a huge difference yeah the teacher thing is is crucial yeah so any last parting words for us on the, our dealer diaries? I mean, no, you don't have to go here, here, close this thing. Look at this one. We're getting now that shot right there. So can we put this up for an Emmy? I don't think so, but <laughs> <laughs> a podcast no, it's been award. Great. It's been great talking with you and, you know, 
I've always loved your gallery and all the stuff that you do. And you have a great eye. And for you to give me a tacit seal of approval for my art is, wow, that's better than the California Art Club. Uh -huh. uh, well, that's a, that's a huge compliment. I don't know if it's true, but you know, no, it is true. It is it is true, but um, I think it's I think it's cool. Yeah, and so they can find you on Facebook too, right? You have a Facebook. That's how I. Yeah, work. it's oh. just David Michaels. Yeah, the old saying, you know, everything's pretty simple. Yeah, keep it simple. And you find me, you know, find me on Facebook and um, David Michaels Art. So that's you know. Maybe when you go, if you, the Olympics, it would be interesting to see if you went not as your profession, but as an artist. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, that no. That would be great. Yeah, you might want to consider that, seriously. Well, you know what? I got I to gotta show you one thing. I can't really get it up. There. Yeah, go ahead. We got time. Uh, I can see up there. So we're looking at. See this painting up here? Yes. That's me directing TV. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And who did the, who, and it's a painting? I can't, it almost looks like a photograph. But yeah, it's a, no, it's a, it's a very abstract looking um, uh, pastel that my man Brad Figury did. Oh, very cool. Yeah, well, you know, you're clearly surrounded by art. And again, I recommend people looking at this uh, on YouTube because you can see the beautiful artwork. And, um, you know, if you surround yourself with art, if you embrace art and if you let your heart, you know, do all the things that one's heart does with art, I, I you know, you get on a path that is a great, yeah, I mean, it's like, a great like road. This, this oh, yeah. Matt Smith. I, I knew exactly who that was. So this is a beautiful little desert scene of Matt Smith. Have you taken any classes with Matt at all? No, I, I did sign on to one of his um, uh, Tucson art things online. You know, it was like an hour class or whatever. Yeah, no, those are great. He's a fantastic teacher. Yeah. And he does teach at that Tucson Art Academy. And, uh, and you know, he's one of the best. Oh, here, here's another funny one. So we're doing show and tell. This is a Peggy Kroll Roberts right here, I can tell, it looks like. But is that's it? me, yep. Mark Feldman, and Ray. And Byron Smith. Oh, Byron. Yeah, that's a beautiful. Is that a watercolor? Or is that a gouache? Or what is gouache. that? Yeah, gouache. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you guys have to go look at this stuff. And we're going to actually we'll put some of your paintings too up on the YouTube. We'll just snag oh, cool. them. We'll snag them from the video if you, from your website, if you don't mind. So how long have you been doing these podcasts? So this is you're probably my 135th podcast now. And wow. uh, this is my third year doing these. So I do one a week. Um, well, we drop one a week, but I you know, like this week, I'm done three. I've done John Coleman, you, and then I'm doing Bill Anton tomorrow, I believe. So I'm just, I'm having a great deal of fun doing it. I, you know, it seems to be something that resonates with me and I seem to be pretty good at it. And so I'm, you know, as long as I'm having fun and I'm telling a story and I'm getting information, I, I look at it as a historical record uh, so instance, I did a Baron Wallman who just passed away this last week, who was the photographer for the Rolling Stone magazine and was at Woodstock. And so now that two hour conversation is there, even though Baron's gone, his story is there. And I think it's, I see that as part of my role, quite frankly.
well, you're very good at doing this. You have a perfect demeanor for it. <laughs> they, most people in your position don't know how to listen real well. You know, their their podcast is all about them. And, you know, it's been really fun doing this with you because you're, you ask good questions and it's really, you know, very comfortable. Thank you. Well, that's, you know, that's what I try to do is I, it's, it's not the Mark Sublet show, it's the Art Dealer Diaries. So my job is to get out of the way, listen, let the person tell the story so I can understand it. And then if I follow it correctly and listen, you know, you know, then I'll have the questions I need to ask. I don't have any questions pre thought up when I do one of these things. I may do a little research, but I just want to hear where it goes. I mean, you know, and then all of a sudden you get these points like I could hear, you know, you should have been an artist right to begin with. You just didn't have the damn art teacher there to finish the ignition. You'll have me thinking about that for a while. That's for sure. <laughs> it's like, because I never quite thought about it that way. But yeah. It's there. I bet your wife knew that. Yep. Well, she always thought I was better than I was. So yeah. Yeah. Well, at some point, what we have to do is we have to put together a group of people that promote art teachers because I think it's a very important component of our educational system that's not embraced like it should be, quite frankly. Well, that's, that's for sure. I mean, we, you know, we spend a lot of time here. My, my kids were in school just trying to save the art program. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. It's like, are you kidding me? Why don't you get rid of anything but that? Right. Yeah. Or just not even get rid of anything. Just, Come up with the funds. Yeah. You know, talk to our. So we, you know, we raised money for a lot of years. We raised a lot of money to hire an art teacher, you know, outside of the district. Yeah. That's fantastic. The school, so that, that worked. All right. Well, we had a wonderful talk. I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. I look yeah, forward. I, I don't know. It. I don't know when we'll get to have dinner again. I'd like to do that at some point in time. But, as long as I don't get in an accident on the way to dinner. I remember that. <laughs> I do remember that. So, but uh, otherwise, we'll uh, just keep keep painting. Say hi to all my painter friends that you're out there. And uh, unless you have anything else to say, we'll just, I'll be watching you on Facebook and you'll be seeing me or listening to me, hopefully, on this podcast. Yeah, no. I'm in now. All right. Cool. David, wonderful. All right, say hi to Patrick. He's did good keeping me in the loop. All right, very good. I'll let him know. He's going to love that out shout, out shout for him. Um, and just keep painting. Keep us all in, in going and just do what you're doing, man, because, you know, you found your lane. You're really there. And, um, you know, believe it or not, and well, I don't even have to tell you this, you know it makes a difference, right? For that one person that you sold that painting to that cried, that's enough. That's right. why you do it. That's Here's, everything. It's the whole ball game, in my opinion. So. Good for you. Congratulations. Thanks. All right, David Michael. All right. Talk to you soon. I hope to see you soon. When I mean, when we, you know, when we get out and about. <laughs> well, yeah, who knows? A year from now, probably. Yeah. So I'll let you know if I'm around where you are. But yes, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll keep watching you on Facebook. And again, I encourage people who are watching this, 
join this Facebook, watch it, and uh, yeah, and and go to your site to read the the blogs. They are very cool. I read I read a bunch of them actually, and I read them because I was enjoying them. So well, thank you. There you go, baby. We'll All talk right. soon. All right. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.